0: This call may be recorded or transcribed.
1: Hi, Papa. Uh, hi, Ernie.
2: How are you, Ma?
1: Good. Yes, the Uber Conference has rebranded itself as Dialpad, which was the parent company, and then my billing got reset, oh, so see. the system's in a weird state, so getting the call going is a little tricky. Oh, I'm okay. glad we are talking. <laughs> okay. Yeah, so, so this is the end. Yeah. Of, uh, well <laughs> today we choose faces. Such yeah, as it is.
2: Uh, right, yeah. Um answered some questions but raises more questions. But um so um, I think explains something right away, which is nice, right? Uh yeah. he starts out by saying so basically it's become Angelo De Negri.
1: Right. This is a good right. time to summarize what actually happened from the beginning. Well, he actually summarizes exactly what happened from the beginning, right? He says he was a gangster who was revived by his descendants and pointed at Siler, yep. Siler uh, um, thinking he was going to kill Siler. And it looks like he did, but Siler somehow managed to survive his own death yep. and actually appears to have used the whole scenario to one Manipulate Angelo to becoming this uh, guardian protector for the house. Hmm. Um, and then he simultaneously created an anti-Angelo, the Mr. Black, to right. be uh, his own nemesis. So, so that Angelo's conscious mind, if you will, was working to try and pacify humanity and make them sort of uh, civilized. So they could live within the house, and Black was working with uh eventually Glinda's family to uh, oppose that and break humanity out of the uh nursery slash prison that the house was yeah and, Looks and, like uh, it, uh, and, uh, but and now they all all the different pieces have finally come back together, and we're just kind of left here sitting so what? <laughs> Yeah,
2: that's the thing, See, especially, uh, it's not, he He says that I had been neutralized, but he's not neutralized, he's connecting with him or adding uh, his own point of view to, uh, Black is adding his own point of view to the other guy, so you're left with the thing,
1: so, so what are they now? Are they
2: the pacifist group, or are they the breakout group, or the combination of both, or what?
1: Right, that was the line Glenda says. Who are you now? And he goes, "How yeah. the hell should I know? <laughs> how do, how right. do I answer that?" He says, "Well, hello, your dog? hello. Oh, um, yes, someone is asking. It's um, someone is asking about Quinn, the breeder for him. It's a English Cocker Spaniel. It's uh, I think it's it's her. The Lynn is the name, and uh, uh, Eckhart." Uh, so it's he's in Southern California, like Santa Clarita region. English cocker spaniel. Yeah, this happens periodically. If someone will come and gape at Quinn, and this guy Lily was so impressed, she asked me for like the name of the breeder because apparently she wants to get one just like Quinn, oh. which is which is an unusually, uh, you know, a lot of people say, ooh, it's always so pretty. Uh, uh, but very rarely do they say, "Oh, I, he's so beautiful. I want another dog just like that."
2: Oh, okay. <laughs> so That's the next yeah, level of that's
1: the next level of admiration.
2: Yeah, <laughs> right. I I the it next is level up, and that
1: would be would be with people asking like, "Can I buy that dog from you? He is so beautiful." But um, <laughs> that is what's practical and more. But you know, it's, it's interesting uh, as the interruption there goes, is that Tyler kind of looked at Angelo and said, "You know." I want someone like that to run my experiment for me. And he kind of, you know, um, who, who's saying that? Uh, Tyler. Right? Uh-huh. So in some yeah. ways, it feels like Siler is almost the hidden protagonist of the whole story. And that he's the one who's actually making the choices uh, about what should happen. And Angelo seems almost like a character, a play, write a Shakespearean uh, novel that Siler is writing.
2: See, the, so you feel, you, see, you, see, one of the things that um, that I didn't understand was he said that um, somewhere here that Siler created Wing Null.
1: Sorry, I, the audio cut out for a minute there.
2: No so the. Um, um somewhere here it said that siler created wing null
1: yes hmm. right remember at the end of part one when Siler is dying he says there's a building on the other side yeah that should have what you need and that was wing um, null that that was the place oh, where oh, okay. angelo went after he killed siler which is the place they now call the Ruin. And he went Mm. there and was able to stay alive, and he found the machine and the cloning and the brain wipe and all that stuff. And the master computer that that controls all the other houses. Yeah, he had a name for it, right? Yeah. So So he, yeah, so So. Black was the one who named it, or sorry, Angela was the one who named it Wing Null, but the thing itself was built by.
2: Oh, um, okay.
1: Siler? Siler. So that's why he was able yeah, to so, get in
2: because he he knew the code or whatever. Well,
1: yeah. So the, the so the the implication is that not just Wing Null, but all these refugee houses on all the different mm, planets. Yeah. Uh, apparently, they'd all been designed and built uh, by Siler. And you know, so Wing Null was the. Uh, you know, it seemed like the master system that controlled all the houses, but in fact, uh, Siler had kind of the uh, the super user password, and he had, you know, I guess in the ruins, his computer system there actually had um, some sort of access to Wing Null and possibly the other houses, right? So just like, you know, uh, the 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 Angelo line, the family was sort of spying on and controlling what was happening uh, yeah. in the houses without his knowing it, without their knowing it. Uh, so Seiler have had some level of control over Wing Null. I mean, the fact that he's asking all these questions and uh, Glenda's giving all these answers, uh, that Seiler's asking questions and Glenda's giving answers implies that Siler wasn't like directly monitoring everything all the time. Um, okay. But clearly, he had enough agency and control. That he was able to create a clone of Angelo and drop him into one of the houses.
2: Yeah. The other disgusting. thing is, I mean, why did why did he have to go to that ruin? Because he found something there. I don't know what he saw there. I couldn't understand. Uh, I thought it was a piano or something, but it's, is that the computer? Is that a dusty thing? He's dusting it out. Is it a computer? the chair?
1: So, I, I think that yeah. this isn't a chair, right? Yeah,
2: it looks oh, like brought, one of the things he cleaned up was the chair. Um, and then uh, let's see where the shade of head. furniture persisted. Yes. came to uh, the dark instrument crouched tarantula-like in his recess in the wall. I withdrew my handkerchief while I was wiping it off. The telephone rang. Uh, right. I wonder
1: if that is a...
2: so. I don't know what the
1: Okay, let's, let's see.
2: So, um, so so he goes there just to get this thing. With the
1: oh, chair. so so he so, he, he so no no the thing he's wiping off is the phone mm. or oh, the phone. Well, okay. I was wiping it off. The telephone rang. I have it reasonably clean now, so you can answer it. Because remember, the last thing he did mm. after he killed Siler. Was the phone rang and he picked it up and Siler yeah. said, "Oh, I have a few moments of life yeah. left. Here's the instructions." Right. And then he died. And yeah. so, uh, so Angelo now realizes that Siler, uh, effective, effectively, faked his death. Okay. Right. And so, then so, it was Siler all along.
2: Well, kind of, right? I mean, I, uh, Siler won or Siler. <laughs>
1: because no, was there's only years one or so, 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 yeah so, so so Siler apparently so just like you know Angela has this thing where if you bury someone's memories and stuff them behind a pin it becomes this kind of psychic ghost that can still talk to you yeah right so the implication is that Siler figured out how to do kind of a full backup and make himself a ghost in his machine and also a ghost that had full control over the machine so he could make phone calls and manipulate robots and you know yeah uh, play games within the house uh and with Angela So oh,
2: see the thing is he, he does that he also has this clones of black which are also which under his cool. control
1: right right although it looks like it was wasn't under his direct control is I mean the implication seems to be that Tyler did um, two I mean at the very least he did two things and that may be all he did one is he kind of manipulated the physical circumstances so that Angelo uh, was this sort of guilt and shame for getting caught up in a personal vendetta when humanity was dying and therefore mm. embarks on this quest to civilize himself and, and humanity. And right. then the second thing he did, so that was kind of a manipulation thing. And the second thing he did was taking direct action to get a, a separate clone of Angelo's and implant it with the opposite mandate. So he makes one suggestion. So he basically creates two halves of Angelo. He basically split Angelo in two, right? Mm. And the first half he controls with manipulation Uh, uh, sort of uh, manipulating the external context. And the second one he manipulates by planting an explicit suggestion in his brain. And then he just seems to have turned them loose. He doesn't seem to have taken any active role in the process. Although the thing that is uh, ambiguous to me at least, is whether Mr. Black had enough control over the systems to do that freaky telephone ring thing.
2: Yeah. Or so, well, that the was actually Siler. Up. Yeah, it looked like Siler was a telephone thing from because of what happens next. He keeps, right. he called him, right? Yeah, because Black is dead. Or, no, Black is not dead, but Black is this guy now. Because that's the problem. See, they <laughs> both fight with each other, and from what we saw in Chapter 9 or something, the Black side won.
1: Well, the black, well, like I said, like the, the way it seemed like was that the black uh, body killed the yeah. Angelo body, Winton. Right. But then right. Uh, when we go into that body, it kind of feels like, as I said, the left side of the brain is thinking mostly in terms of being black. But the body is actually doing the thing that Winton wanted, which was to go back. Because black originally wanted to get to the ruins. And you know, find the secret of Siler or whatever it was. Um, not black, but not black. Yeah, black. I did. thought it was the yeah, angel. of I thought it. The no, Angela so, so the way it works, the, the last chapter, the last two chapters hmm. were where um, remember, some, uh, just to go. So version one, uh, version A of Black was the clone that was implanted with siler's suggestion. Rev right. B of Black was the missing clone that he stole and transferred himself into somehow. Revision yeah. C of Black was um, the, uh, when, when he tricked uh, Winton into killing him, he took over Winkle. Yeah. And then Revision D of Black is when he pulled pins two, three, four, and 5. Uh, and maybe 6, I lost track. Uh, uh, 2, 3, 4, mm-hmm. and 5. And so then that Winkle killed, so Winkle killed the other two clones in Wing Null, Yeah, right. And that he was um, moving towards uh, the ruins, right? He didn't stay at Wing Null for a shootout or a fight out with Winton. He went in um, to, um, the, through the open hatch in order to get back to the ruins where this periodic light would flash. Like yeah. it kind of seemed like Siler oh, would periodically good, flash a light yeah. get people to get people's attention. Oh. So, so, yeah. Wint, so, Black was the one who was trying to get to the ruins, and Winton oh, was the one I, who yeah. wanted to kill him and bring them back to Wing Null, where Glenda could pull the pin and release Angela.
2: But uh, but, uh, but what happened really was that the Black guy killed the Winton guy.
1: Right, the Black guy killed the Winton guy, but even after... And the Black the, guy in, is the in, one was, who crawled back. He crawled right, well, back. Well, because, at that uh, point, so, so let's call that version... Um, uh, so that's version E of black,
2: okay, uh,
1: and uh, which is also uh, Winton, which was version six. So yeah, let's but call that because, yeah, but that's, but, but, that's so the, the body yeah, but the body was Winton. Well, the body was the body was Winkle Winkle original. Yeah, right, right. So so yeah, the Winkle so body then, has version hmm. e, version D of yeah. black and version yeah. six of which is Winton. So it's called D six. Call so this is hmm. Winkle D six is the character who crawls back in chapter yeah. uh, 10 and there's two things that happen that are interesting right one is that this robot attacks them and, and he mentioned yeah. that, like so uh, and that um seems to have been siler uh, creating an external threat to force uh black and winton to sort of work together to fight uh this robot and then uh, Angelo's demon uh, whispers to him and tells him to come back, and you know helps him win. And then he comes back, and then Glenda pulls the pin, and then we're yeah. left with, um, we'll call it version one point one, or um, or, or one plus, right? Which is Bobby where Angel. it's Angelo with all these other personas sort of running around inside his head, hmm. right? He says, you know, I am legion.
2: Yeah, right, yeah.
1: I, I was Legion. And by the way, that also explains the weird beginning of the story. Because mm. it talks about, like, uh, he's, he's wandering in the sea of memories, and he picks them apart at random. And so the implication is that's actually uh, what Winkle's body is doing under the hood, mm. is that all the, you know, Angelo's kind of woken up, and he sees all these personas, and mm. he sort of just picks threads, and that these Uh, narratives are uh, his uh, sort of disembodied persona inhabiting these different memories and living through them uh, to try to make some sense of things so in some sense the implication is that the this very confusing stream of thought process that we are going through is what uh, Angela one plus had to do while he was under the hood is to try to figure out pick up these threads of memory and figure out you know uh, uh who he is yeah See, the thing is
2: uh, from the two sides okay we have the angela side and we have the black side mm-hmm. if the black side wanted to not be pacifist uh wanted to have their own idea they wanted to leave and all that right then why right why when, when they had the upper hand, uh, actually, that Winkle body killed the uh, Winton
1: body. Winton body.
2: Yeah. Right. Uh, the problem is, yeah, then, is that well, by why that are, point— why finally, finally, he's become Angelo denigri. He should have stayed as uh, either Black or right, Scylla. Right.
1: So, so, right. So the problem was is that uh, the Black and Winton personas both collided in Winkle, and neither of them could gain the upper hand completely. Right? That was no, what happened he, in chapter he killed ten, them, right? The
2: Winkle well, killed no, 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 him. It doesn't matter. Right?
1: It, it, it doesn't matter, right? Mm. So the, the the reality is is that um, if Black had been strong enough, mm. then he could do. So what Wynton was hoping to do was kill Winkles' body, mm. and then resist the mesh, so that the Black persona would be. You know, cast out and have to fly off and get yeah. a pig to inhabit or something, right? Uh, if we're going right. with the Legion metaphor. And so, yeah. but, but, and so Winton was confident he could do that, but Winkle was not, but Black was not. Black has not actually had any experiences with meshing and resisting. Uh, all these things because he was never part of this community. I mean, this is just, just making up some yeah. narrative to make it make yeah. sense. But like Winton yeah. had already gone through all these merges and he had successfully avoided the the other group's decision to mesh, and he had fought Black off once. So he sort of built this muscle of, mm. uh, of let's call it self-differentiation, which is a mm. word I've been thinking a lot about this week um, and really this whole season. And so, Winton was able to keep himself from being absorbed into black the way two, three, four, and five were. But by the same token, he wasn't strong enough to fully absorb black. You know, because black sort of had. So sometimes Winton was tougher, but uh, black was older. And it kind of balanced out to the point where in chapter 10, they were literally at this impasse. They were both, both personas were stuck in the same body. And neither one could overwhelm the other and absorb them. Mm. And he was literally of two minds and uh, he wasn't able to resolve it, but, you know, external circumstances and external influences in the form of the robot and Angelo's demon uh, was able to tip the balance towards following Winton's desire to go back and put himself under the hood. Yeah. Rather than Black's desire to just push press forward to Siler.
2: Yeah, and then, and then we'll, we'll introduce Glenda and and uh, Glenn uh, thing. And, uh, he doesn't want to talk to the guy. He just tells him, uh, tells her, tell him that uh, you are going back to provide a program for sheltering the exodus that is to come. What does that mean?
1: So, that, so basically it means that Glenda is going to carry out um, her father's plan to release humanity from the houses. Right, so the the idea is that uh, in the end uh, you know so Winton sort of his only strategy is to pull back Angelo and Angelo basically blesses Black's plan it's like you're right Right. the time of the family is done and now it's time to release humanity go find their own way put ordinary humans in charge I'm done playing God and trying to make the right things happen right uh, and so, so there's, so there's one thing. So this, and so there, the, what he's saying is that he's gonna turn think, Oh my goodness, there's a little puppy here. Ashley, <laughs> sniffing at him and not attacking him, which is nice. Hello, hello. when good. <laughs> Quinn was being very patient with that small dog, which was nice. In a parking lot. <laughs> Okay. But so what's interesting is that uh but the, the more important thing that uh, Angelo does not say is that he is really, really ticked off at Siler. Right? He is really well, angry at Siler for yeah, right, he's refusing to talk to him, which is hmm. that um you know, and it and it's ironic because you know, Siler was kind of doing to him what Angelo did to humanity, right? He, Mm. you know, manipulated them from the shadows. And to be fair, Mm. Siler himself paid as high a price, if not higher than Angelo did, right? He literally sacrificed his bodily life in its entirety uh, in order to, you know, push Angelo down this road, you know, towards greater Mm. self-evolution. But, you know, and and you kind of get the sense that, um, you know, it, it it you feel a little bit bad for Syler. On the other hand, it's not like he doesn't deserve it, right? <laughs> to to be snubbed after all he did to Angelo without his consent, yeah. Or, right? Um, yeah. So it, it's a
2: well, see, and then it, the it, last. It's a, it's a thing. poignant. Yeah. yeah. And uh, Angelo says, "Tell him that the debt of honor is cancelled. And honor is spelling H-O-N-E-R. I don't know. It's a spelling mistake. And debt that's a honor cancelled between us. Yeah, the honor is cancelled between us. So what does that mean? Debt of honor. What's the debt of honor? So Hello?
1: that's a good question. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can you hear me? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a good question. It's it's kind of ambiguous, and I think it's, we have, we're sort of left to speculate." Um, my sense is that, you know, Angelo felt bad that he had killed Siler when Siler seemed to be trying to help humanity and Black was just caught up in his petty little vendetta. And so he sort of felt a debt of honor when he thought Siler was dead. He felt like there was sort of certainly a debt of honor to like, you know, Siler had built all this amazing machinery to try and save the human race. And because Angelo killed him, Siler was no longer around to do that. And so he kind of felt an obligation to continue Siler's work. Um, On the other hand, he could also be, so that's on one side. On the other side, he feels like uh, Siler did this horribly manipulative game played on him. And so Siler kind of owes him. And so it kind of feels like Angelo's saying is like, look, I killed you, but you kind of screwed me over even worse uh, than okay, I did to you. So we are even. Yeah, so uh, so, so yes. Yeah, so, so we could take it as almost a kind of forgiveness. Um, you know, would be the a generous interpretation. Yeah. Uh, a less generous one is to say, like, you know, I had this debt of honor to you, but because you treated me so badly, I'm breaking that debt, and I'm just sort of unilaterally cutting you off. Although you know, he could do worse, right? He could take a wrench to the whole machinery and destroy it to try and kill Siler. So he doesn't seem to be vengeful towards Seiler. He's just really, really ticked off. Because, <laughs> you know, okay, so of course, he has been uh, for 200 uh, years. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah.
2: But uh, basically, uh, he says, you know, uh, I'm not going to do anything uh, to stop uh, the humanity from exodus from all these houses, right? Right. So, basically, uh, he's giving in to Seiler. Right,
1: he's he's Black, giving in, right? yeah. yeah. He's giving in or perhaps giving up might be a yeah, uh, which is ironic because that is the one thing that Angelo was never known for right like mm. his defining trait was that he would never give up right once right. you pointed him in a direction he would mm. you know crawl through hell and high water in order to achieve that and
2: except except that you know the end of part one or something he regretted that right he regretted that side of well, he
1: re- he, he, he he regretted that, but he but he didn't yeah, really repent of that. Off, right. he, well, he he repented. He regretted that he had had pointed himself in the wrong direction.
2: Right. Right.
1: And that's what we talked about was the tragedy mm-hmm. of Glenda Glynn, uh her dad, Professor Glynn, I forget his name. Um, mm. But that was the tragedy is that like, in it, you know, it would have been more honorable, and you know. Certainly uh, and possibly uh, certainly from Winton's perspective and ours, it would be honorable it, what they did to Professor Glynn—you know, destroying his character, assassination—in uh, yeah. order to discredit his ideas was dishonorable. Right. But you know the the, the Lamb Senior who orchestrated that, like, is that the alternative would be to say, basically, okay, this whole uh, system I have devoted my life to. Of subversively making sure the right things happen is not the most important thing and I should step back and allow the democratic process or virtue or human knowledge or whatever to uh, decide the outcome and that was the thing that you know before um, oh, this is interesting so before Angelo's was reconciled with himself with sort of the opposite mm-hmm. part of him that was walled off it wasn't hmm. really possible for him to uh, step back out of this mindset of victory at all costs.
2: But that's what happened. The end,
1: the end. The end. He did at the work. very end. After, after he's been reconciled to his yeah, the part of himself that was abjected. And what's funny? This is the theme that I've been really going through this last month with you know the psychologist and these other conversations we've had hmm. is you know you know feeling like there's this important thing that I have to do and it's not wrong but being able to step back from the framing of either it's you know one or zero yes or no for against, and say well let me just step back and reflect and not feel like I have to choose one way or the other and you know there's this and in some sense it really is about I guess reconciliation is the word uh, with the mm. parts of myself that I have abjected. Like, I don't know if you've had this experience, but when you're really wounded or hurt or angry at someone, uh, mm. there is this desire to, uh, or this thing within us that says, well, I have to remember what this person did to me so I don't trust them or be vulnerable in front of them. And it creates this sort of wall in the relationship. And you know as long as i'm focused on their pain and my innocence then that wall stays up and for me that's really the cross is getting to the place of being able to let go of that pain let go of that hurt and say okay yes that was a real thing yes that really hurt yes um i don't want that to happen again but that is not the most important thing the most more thing is that christ paid for my sins and theirs and i need to let go of that pain and forgive Otherwise, it'll define who I am, and I, wa- right. I don't want to be defined by that pain. Um, I want to learn from it. I, w- I don't want to you know, foolishly fail to, to gain the wisdom of what went wrong, but as long as I'm stuck in the defensive mindset of, you know, I must, or they can never, or I won't let them. Or they have to, you know, I'm sort of stuck in this fragmented Winton world. And there is a um I, I'm I'm being less than fully myself is, is is kind of the uh the perspective here. And it's only in extremists when I am sort of forced to confront the opposite and be reconciled to it uh that I can actually move forward um right even though it's a um you know it it it, you know it it is so there's two lines in here that I found really uh uh, evocative one was that at the very beginning of the chapter he talks about the um um like a a grave marker from an ancient tribe Uh, did you see that bit the timeless vantage no yeah where, so uh, the very very first page i think very um, first
2: page of the chapter uh,
1: book? The, the bottom of it i so okay i uh, so he he so he the first part of, the, of of part three he's he's sort of reflecting from this timeless vantage and seeing everything and then he
2: explains it i was tyler yeah he just explains it well, here, right yeah. so
1: yeah right and then he mm. And then he throws back the switches and pops the hood. And I heard a startled noise from my right and a hand came forward and fell upon my arm. I could not Mm. turn my head to see her because of the hood. I had a vision from long ago, of peasants plowing a small field, its boundary marked by an animal skull mounted on a low post. That's a very strange sentence in the middle of that passage. And I... Yeah,
2: see, you know, um, remember when uh, Angelo went on a horse and saw this woman? Yeah, uh, this girlfriend. was uh, Like a sheep, she was drying sheep. Uh, the sheep was. Right. Was there, a, I have to go back and see if there was somebody blowing persons because, yeah,
1: I don't know. I, I... Yeah, because it seems unlikely. I mean, Pleasants, Tongue Field seems like a. Anachronism uh, mm. from way back, but the, so the question is even like where like why does he even have that? And yeah, right. The 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 this, the only thing that came to my mind was well he's talking about mm. boundaries, right? And this issue of boundaries and self-definition mm. uh, is very you know running throughout a lot of this, but there's also that sense of. You know, I assumed that the animal skull was into like a warning or like a sacrifice that happened to say, you know, this is ours, this is us, and uh, you are not. You know, we have uh, done the work to kill the animals and plow the fields, and this is ours and this is our place, and mm. you must keep away. Right? It's, it's it's of a time when you know each village was autonomous. And everyone outside the village was sort of nominally enemies. Um, although I guess once you have fields, it's maybe a different culture than that. But there's there, there's something there that feels significant, but I don't know what it means. Um, mm, yeah, and I then don't know. The other thing. Yeah, but it seems very deliberately inserted there for some reason. But
2: yeah, I don't know. Maybe yeah, I see. Somehow I get the feeling that this guy wants to write another book as a sequel. <laughs> That's why he left it no, hanging he like did, he,
1: that. No, I don't think so. He he he, he, all, he ends a lot of his books on these sort of querulous notes. I guess some of them I do see. have sequels, but but in some mm. ways this next book in this, I got the two volume series where they they sort of uh, build a second book in there. So you don't know exactly the first book could end this abruptly. Um, mm. and, uh, and it's a, the one about sort of uh, a, a, an idiot savant child who becomes a receptacle for brilliant minds of the past. Um, and so it's kind of a similar sort of theme. And he has another book um, that we may do someday, uh, which is. I'm not sure about uh, that. <laughs> but anyway, so, so the, yeah, I'm not saying we will, but like the this, book mm. this we could do because it's in the same genre of uh, mm. uh, a technological version of Hinduism where people can transmigrate their souls into different bodies. So that theme, that concept of souls moving between bodies is a theme he returns to a lot, even though doesn't. but this character is kind of at an, an end point. I guess every, every author probably is open to the fact that if something is wildly popular, he might make a sequel, but usually he makes some of the movies instead. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, yeah. the, la- the other one I thought here was that there was where he's like, he hangs up and like, you know, doesn't tell her, and then he goes, you know, she did this, I accepted her arm, allowed her to help me back out of the ruins, mm. going back to Winning you know. All. The sun was up and the clouds were nearer, I thought we might be able to beat the rain. Then again, maybe not, but what the hell? So like, to me, that, that the thing that says is that, you know, I'm done trying to predict what the future will hold. I'm done trying to control, you know, what happens to me. Like he he sort of lost that drive. And the interesting question for me is, um, you know, has he achieved sort of Siler-like, uh, uh, Hamlet Hood in the sense now that he's able to embody all these different opposites, uh, he no longer has any forward motion, right? He can be uh, you know, react to, 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 to Siler in both giving him the information he wants but not giving him the relationship he wants um, Right. but he doesn't really right. seem to have any like purpose or drive or relationship like, you know, it's not like he's going to doesn't seem like he's going to fall in love with Glenda and live yeah. happily ever after. Yeah, like
2: we talked about it, giving in or giving up. Uh, but basically, uh, he uh, is yielded to the black side of this personality. Because are, from what I understand, they're going to go and continue Glenn's uh, plan. Yeah. Right, uh, but, but, uh, but even more top, uh, profoundly, I think he, is. he,
1: he sees this was, it wasn't really even blacks. It was really Siler's he realized yeah. that both halves of him were working out different halves of Siler's plan. So in some yeah. sense that he really is, he is. And, and what's interesting to me is that Siler is a really complicated father figure of sorts in this story. And he is, um, uh, Submitting to Siler's plan, it's like okay, you know, you played me, you won the game. I will give you uh, the thing you asked for, which is that humanity will evolve along the lines that you have set out for it. It's like okay, you win. But the funny thing is that he uh, refuses to give Siler the thing that uh, Siler hoped for. That he could at least connect with Angelo as a human being, right? You, could, I, I could really feel for Silas. Like, can you just talk to me? I just want to hear your voice, like, uh, right. uh, You know, and 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 Angelo refuses, and I don't blame Angelo at all for refusing. But it's still sort of unutterably sad that this man was waiting 200 years and watching over this thing, and the thing that, in some sense, was most so the thing about Silas that was humane trying to provide for humanity and and help them live together and then help them break free. It was very humane, his desires for what he wanted to happen for humanity. But what he did to Angelo was very um, inhumane and in the end destroyed Siler's relationship with Angelo, right? Right. Even though, like, it's like you know, and this is, you know, this is the, the curse of fatherhood, right? Is like you want the right things to happen to your for your children, and you want to set up the context where they're going to thrive, become the best version of themselves, and also be of benefit to society and humanity. But you want to hopefully do it in a way that doesn't destroy the relationship you have with your son, right? And and Seiler failed to you know to do that in this sense. Right. And that's why it's kind of a tragic, um, yeah, and, or bittersweet. Yeah. Ending and
2: um because Siler achieved what he wanted to do in terms of the humanity. Right. Uh, right? Yeah.
1: Uh and, but now he's uh, literally left alone with no human relationships uh, whatsoever.
2: Yeah, but but the family failed to achieve what they wanted to do was to destroy Siler and keep on uh, keep humanity under control. So basically yeah, but that usually happens to the vanquished. I mean, it's typically an American thing is oh yeah, let's shake hands and go have a drink, type of thing. the wars over, let's help you rebuild yourself, that type of thing. But but in reality, that doesn't happen. People who are vanquished, uh, they like the South is still reeling against that.
1: Well, I, yeah, it, <laughs> it, 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 it's an interesting fact, you know, and mm. something a friend of mine was talking about the last couple of weeks is that when America conquered Germany. Hmm. Um, we became friends, right? I mean, we're rivals, but there was right. no real animosity be- between Americans. Interestingly, right. what I've heard is that soldiers you know, who were in Europe, they, you know, go for reunions and shake hands with their friends and kind of be buddy-buddy right. buddy with the Germans who are on the opposite side. That wasn't the case of Americans who fought the Japanese. Uh, the Japanese, you know, practiced a very brutal form of warfare right. where they would like... Right. Uh, commit atrocities upon sure. prisoners or yeah. soldiers in the field, yeah. and that created. A, but e- but just even despite that, even though the individual soldiers happened, you know, in the eighties, um, we fully accepted Japanese as rivals. You talked. You, you, I think there was that one movie you talked about, uh, Gung Ho, or whatever, about the Japanese corporation taking over an American auto plant.
2: Right, um, right, I remember that. Yeah,
1: yeah, and so and so we yeah. we like there's there's a rivalry there but there's no real hard feelings on either side, at least at the large scale, I'm sure there's individuals who have residual things, but there's not that sense of a, like the like, issue was resolved. But, but it didn't, didn't happen in system. system. But it didn't happen in Afghanistan. First of all, nobody really won.
0: Right, yeah, and, right. That, and that was I, the I interesting
1: that. thing uh, is that, well, you yeah, know, and, and what's curious is that it didn't happen with the Civil War. Right. Hey, now yeah, in hey, the said, yeah. entirely. Yeah. Right. Although, yeah. you know, to some extent it has right. But not other things. Right. And right. you know, like, you know, no one in the south, uh, I think maybe Texas briefly, but no one like, you know, people move back and forth between the north and the south right uh, you know, relatively freely. And while there's certainly cultural tropes that are uh still present that are a source of tension. Yeah. yeah, and they express all sorts of political issues. Um, there's a... But it's, it's you not know, happening the, here,
2: too. I mean, even though he doesn't talk to him, uh, he's just going about his own way of business and uh, yielded to uh, the black side of the thing. Well, I you, think let he let really yielded... yeah,
1: right. but, but, but I really think he was yielding the siler, not so much the black side. I think that... Yeah, it it wasn't Winton yielding yeah, the black yeah. It was Angelo right. using Siler, and I think that's important because I don't think Winton would ever give in to Black, but Angelo, looking at both sides, can see that Siler had a plan, and it was frankly, you know, uh, bigger than anything Angelo had going on. Both Winton and Black were components; they thought themselves as enemies, but really, they were both um, playing out Siler's plan. Uh, right. And so Angelo could see that and he could surrender to that, but he still wasn't happy about it. I mean, this is actually, interestingly, the the point in my faith where I kind of had my breakthrough in my relationship with God, because I had all this anger in my 20s against mm-hmm. God, because I kind of feel like I can believe that God is good. I can believe he has a good plan for humanity, but I don't believe he actually cares about me. Mm-hmm. That was really the crisis in my, in my spirituality. Mm-hmm. And it was only mm. uh, when I sort of collided with the devotion, I was just journaling through uh, the death of Lazarus. And I got to the mm. point where Jesus wept. And I suddenly mm. realized with all this machinery going on outside, um, mm. that was really hiding the fact that the heart of the Father, the heart of Jesus was was fully present in the pain that I was feeling right now.
2: Right. And,
1: mm. you know, that was the thing that, made all the difference to me in my understanding of God and Jesus and Christianity was, this, mm. was Emmanuel, God with us, God feeling my pain, not right. some benign puppet master pulling strings.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And well,
1: that, that was the, that, the that thing that, um, you know, you know, uh, and you know, this is the thing that is, um, mm. in some sense, um, uh, Angelo was replicating Siler's error, right? Siler's actually. This is funny. There's um, the, the, the way I first heard the term self differentiation was, I think, a political advisor to Lyndon Johnson talking about leadership. Mm. And you know, self differentiation traditionally, originally, meant uh, psychologists used to describe a child who originally just thinks of themselves as part of the family. And then during mm. the terrible twos, and then during adolescence, they have to individuate. They have to define themselves they have to figure mm. out who they are, as opposed to just what their parents or uh, family or you know, upbringing become. Um, and what's interesting is he applied that to leadership. He said, you know, a good leader has to understand and have empathy with the people that he serves. But if he identifies mm. too much with them, then he can't step out and say, okay, what do these people actually need? not just what they want, right? It's mm. like being a parent, right? It's like you have to know what your children want yeah. and feel, but you also yeah. need to look and say, okay, but that's what they feel right now. But a year mm. from now, 10 years from now, you know, 50 years from now, they're gonna to want to have a healthy body. They're gonna be able to contribute to society. They wanna right. be able to make their way, own way in the world. And so I have to give them what they need and not what they want. And right. a good well, God, God has thing, to be, right? Yeah. well, God and that's the, the interesting thing. thing. Yeah. Is, mm. is that God does um, both, right? Mm. And and he is fully aware of what we need, right? He knows the thoughts yeah. of our hearts, our sighs, too deep for words, yeah. but yet he's able to uh, decide. And what's interesting is the Father, the Son, and the Spirit seem to handle this differently. Like God the Father, you know, was uh, the way he set up the world, the world has suffering, disease, and pain in it. Right? There's no avoiding right. the fact that he's allowing this to happen. He could, right. in principle, go and just zap all problems, uh, right. but he doesn't for reasons that are, you know, uh, uh, have been a source of, of much debate and consternation over the centuries. Right. What's interesting is that Jesus, right. when he was here, uh, when he was around the crowd and around the suffering, he, he moved with compassion and healed right. all of them. Um, right. But then he also didn't just do that, right? He would heal and then he would walk away or he would go to a crowd and heal one person at the pool of Solomon, yeah. but not all the others, right? Yeah. And there's this, so he drew the line differently, but he also drew a line between giving people what they wanted and giving them right. what they needed. And right. that to me is the line of self differentiation is that it's easy to pull outside the system and look at people and say, well, objectively, I think this is what you need. And it's also, Mm -hmm. we call that, I guess, the the paternal uh, type of of leadership. And it's also easy to go around people and say, oh, let me understand what you're feeling and let me just give you what you want. That's sort of the maternal side of leadership, if you will. But it's Mm -hmm. very hard to self-differentiate in the whole book because, you know, I find that I either give in to just doing what people want to make everyone, in fact, when I was talking about, you know, my issues, the mistakes I felt I made in how I handled my psychiatry psychiatric issues, uh, mm. and you know the whole crisis we had six years ago, is on the one hand, I tried to separate myself from what people want and do what I thought was right for me, and that was sort of the the paternal error of uh, of trying to focus on my own agency and control, and that caused a lot of grief and stress in the rest of my family. And the second time, I I tried to do the opposite and say, okay, let me just do what everyone else wants. Uh, to make, you know, to keep the peace. But that led to a lot of resentment on my part. uh, Because Mm, I felt like I was giving up my agency. And Mm. the the interesting thing is that, you know, both of those are, you know, necessary in some sense. But they're both kind of traps. Is that we can fall into them and end up, um, you know, causing more problems than Mm. we are solving like we can we can make ourselves feel better make other people feel worse or make other people better make ourselves feel worse and Mm. neither of those is a resolution and the interesting thing is the um well two things one is you know like it's important to be reconciled with ourselves and to kind of face all these things yeah the second thing that that i keep coming back to on this is that um both Siler and Angelo erred on the side of trying to accomplish the mission by separating themselves and playing God, if you will.
0: Mm.
1: And the interesting thing is that, you know, human wants to play. There's a, there's a great line. I said, the history is, there's a Christmas card. The history is filled with men who would be God, uh, but then it turns the page, but only one God who would be a man.
0: Mm.
1: Is that in some sense, God was playing man. Uh, you know, it's not the right way to put it, or disrespectful mm. way to put it, but there's a sense in which, instead of man playing God, playing man, and there's a sense mm. in which, like an alternate future, is one where rather than being a shadowy figure that is pulling the strings from outside, what if um, every generation, Angelo mm. would incarnate? a version of himself who had all the wisdom and understanding of the past, but had no power, right? He was vulnerable, mm. uh, kind of the way Mr. Black was, right? He didn't have mm. all the strings that, yeah. uh, mm. that, that, and they like, what if they, but, but he sort of had da- damaged memory is, is that all, uh, Oh, Ooh, I like this, this, this. Here's a different vision. So we talk mm. about how, um the 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 which can sort of pin that part of your persona sort of becomes your demon, kind of the part of yourself that you abjected and killed right. to uh and, and you had this sort of there's a, sort of an alienation, a violent thing. Mm. What if it was the other way around is mm. if it was a uh the, the biblical term is kenosis, how Jesus emptied himself of his glory mm. and became like a man what if instead right. of it being a violent sort of like, I hate this part of myself, I wanna get rid of you, it was a volunteer who says, okay, for this generation, I look at and see this world here. And this is actually literally a thing that I think about uh, doing and say like, I see these people here, the, the civilization is struggling with this problem. And I have this mm. bird's eye view of what it is. What if I said, mm. okay, now the easy thing to do is to come in and make myself a, a strong leader and try to fix everything. Right. Right, But if I do that, then everyone ends up trying to be infantilizes them and makes them children. And I'm the father figure to to fix everything for them. And they come to rely on that. So what Mm -hmm. I'm going to do is I'm going to recuse myself. I'm going to create a version of myself that lacks all those abilities that they need Mm -hmm. to control the situation. But they have that passion and that heart and that wisdom. And I and I, you know, implant that as a, you know, as, as a as a baby you know, that I give to some infertile couple to raise or whatever, like literally
0: mm.
1: he could actually literally create an immaculate conception where he could choose a family and implant mm. a baby with this thing. And the baby mm. doesn't have um, any power or status or special knowledge, but it mm. has a relationship with this father figure, right? The demon mm. Angela's demon that he can talk mm. to and that the baby has access mm. to all that wisdom knowledge yeah. and, that unconquerable love he has for this child. And Mm. that the only thing this child has going for him is a relationship with this all-powerful, all-knowing being. And he has the opportunity to tap into that. And then that that child uh, is an incarnate uh, 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 inspirational figure that has all the same limitations of the people around him, but that inspires them to become better. And What's interesting about that? Technically, that would fit within the science fiction reality of this story, right? Of the things that they want to accomplish, and the things that their technology allows them to do. There's no reason he couldn't do that. Um, and what's interesting is that you know that is an interesting metaphor for what God did with Christ being born and yeah, married. I was going to say, yeah, yeah, but the, but the really interesting thing to it. me mm. is that what if that is what it means for us to be sons of god is to say we are placed in this world with all the same fragility and vulnerability and insecurities and fears as everyone else but the only thing we have that differentiates us from the rest of the world is we have a direct relationship with the father figure who knows and sees everything and has the power to change things but Precisely does not because his goal is not to make us turn out the way he wants us to through coercion and subversion. Right. But he, he, oh, ooh, ooh, this is the thing. Um, both Siler and Angelo sacrificed mm. relationship for the sake of control. And I believe that God the Father sacrifices mm. control for the sake of relationship. Yeah, right. You know, and and I guess that in some ways is the answer to the issue of theodicy, is that the thing God wants most is to have a relationship with us and for us to grow up into being, you know, fully mature. And in order to do that, he can't just come down and zap the bad guys um, or display his power. He only does it under very sort of rigorous, uh, circumstances for reasons we don't fully understand. Um, right. Because that's not his primary goal. His primary goal is this idea of, of having humans he can relate to. And he is the anti siler in that sense. And, you know, that is a very different concept of holiness than I grew up with. Mm-hmm. And even how I tend to think normally is that you know, holiness is becoming mature enough that we can actually have a relationship with God. Mm. And all these other rules and regulations, and even in some sense, all the the missional things that we think God wants us to do, like freeing the slaves, or curing disease, or whatever, like, those are good things, but they're not the most important thing.
0: Mm. The
1: most important thing is this relationship. And I think about you know, my own mistakes here,
0: Mm.
1: is that in some ways, both when I did what I wanted, ignoring the impact on other people, or did what other people wanted, ignoring the impact on myself, both of those things were kind of crimes against relationship. And I ended up kind of hiding part of myself from other people. And Mm. it implies that the path forward, Uh, which, you know, in kind of what we've been doing. And the reason I wanted to do this book story, uh, you know, at some level, I didn't articulate this clearly, is that, like, I want to be able to um, share those parts of me with you Mm. in Mm. a way that doesn't overwhelm you or mislead Mm. you, right? Because that's what real relationship is. And that's not easy. It's not as simple as just letting it all hang out because that will overwhelm. Right? right. And that'll, you know, over, you won't be able to process or handle that. Um, yeah. And, you know, this is the. Um, this is the challenge of being human. This is the challenge of being a son of God is uh, connecting with the deep parts of ourselves enough to understand where we are alienated from ourselves. Right. Uh, because of the choices we've made and we thought we had to make and maybe you know at the time were the best choices we could make. And to say, okay, but now, uh, you know, I feel like this season in the family of God and, and the world is like, you know, we kind of had to slice away all these parts of ourselves and all these different tribes and cultures and factions and countries, you know, just to survive. Because before, you know, uh, that was necessary and, and good, you know, Tower of Babel, if you will. But yeah. maybe this is a chance to, to start putting things back together in a different way, not based mm-hmm. on sort of imperial might and force or pride mm-hmm. and arrogance, but out of humility and vulnerability and you know wouldn't that be a wonderful way to live as human beings in this world? yeah,
2: I think you know the, the interesting thing here is uh, if you apply this principle to the Old Testament. And look at it in a different way God again and again wanted mainly a relationship with Israel and Israel was not really into it they were, I think in some ways they were more interested in, even now the Jewish people probably interested in following certain rules and certain things and trying to gain favor rather than look into it. why did God say these things? why did God do this he wanted a relationship he wanted them to be uh, Communing with him and uh, being loyal to him and loving him—that was more important to God. But these people were more interested in following rules and getting what they wanted, or something like that.
1: Right. It's, it's funny. My other podcast, we, we, mm. we talk about uh, the difference between syntax and semantics. So semantics mm. is kind of the the human experience of things, the affect and quality, mm. I guess, the philosophical term. And syntax is sort of the structures, the rules, and regulations. And we talk about how legacy is like, you want to create structures that will endure, that will persist, Mm. that will allow, right? So the fact that the Jews slavishly had this religious habit of copying the rules and regulations is why they're still around, you know, 4,000 years later. And it's like, it was really good and necessary important to persist it, but there is a price you pay for that, uh, Mm. uh, is that the syntax overwhelms the semantics. and. You know the mystics. Every generation has its mystics, right? People who just go hard right. for these deep, passionate right. experiences of God. But but they tend to be one generation, then they're gone, right? Is yeah. that it's hard to pass on that mystical experience? And you know one of the impressive things about the, the monastic movement for a thousand years, they managed to marry this really rigid structure right. with this you know passionate pursuit of God. But yeah. what they found is that every couple of generations, it would it would start to rot because people would come for the structure and you know lose the thing and so it it is a hard problem and it's not and maybe the 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 answer is that there is no real answer except to continually engage with the with the conundrum uh, of this tension and to say like hey don't just accept this answer let me do and this is you know uh you know this is the uh the, the hopeful um, uh, the, the hopeful future I have for Angelo is that he um, stays in Wingno and just writes his memoirs. And mm. he has a relationship with Glenda who goes and runs the world and she can come, he becomes mm. a father figure to Glenda the way Black mm. was. And he does not try to fix or change anything. He just tells his stories. Mm. And he, you know, works on his reconciling himself with himself, and kind of, you know, hosts little debates where he can talk about these things, and then writes down those stories and share so that people can understand the story of how they got here, and the mistakes mm. and triumphs that enabled them, and how the and how depending on how you look at them, every tragedy was also a triumph, right? Every defeat for for black was a victory for Winton and vice versa, and mm. and giving people that tool and that understanding of how they reconcile themselves so that Mm. they can build on that deeper understanding of the price that was paid for them uh and the incomplete nature of it and say like this was amazing it was heroic and it was still deeply flawed but maybe we can do better and to me that's always been the magic of adam who like uh i think i've told you my version of adam's story is the first version is that he tried to tell Eve to do what he was supposed to do, not eat the apple. And so he mm. blamed her for not doing it. So he he put all the guilt on her by trying to control her, really. Mm. That's, you know, it's oversimplified, but that's one way of looking at it. And then with okay. with Cain and Abel, he, made the, he didn't tell them anything. They were just on their own trying to seek God, and they couldn't handle it, and mm. they killed each other, right? Yeah, right? And, like, so I said, like, so the first time he, he tried to control everything, it was a horrible failure. He didn't second time he didn't try to control anything. That wasn't even, you know, it was a uh you know equally hor- horrific failure, and my belief yeah. is that with i think it was uh seth the uh, the third child mm. adam uh says, I can't tell you what to do, I mm. can't not tell you what to do, so I mm. will just tell you what happened. I will tell mm. you what I did and the mistakes I made that show that you know i you know you may think of myself as a as a father figure and whatever and that's true, and you should realize that. But you have to realize like how badly I have screwed up and that I mm. am not good, but God is. That mm. in my failure, God provided for me. In Cain's failure, God provided for him. And in your failure, God would provide for you. All I mm. ask is that you hear my story and make better mistakes going forward.
0: So that, <laughs> that's kind of what I see okay. is why Adam, mm.
1: you know, is mm. is the uh, – is, is, uh, um, and I think about this because vulnerability is hard, right? Especially to your children, right? And the thing I think about is that, you know, it struck me one day that like Adam was, you know, whether or not you go with sort of the literal creationist view, that he was the first, you know, biological human or Mm. a more syncretic viewpoint with evolution that there were maybe other families around. and He was the first one to Mm. leave a written record of his encounter with God. But hmm. the thing that we know about Adam is that he was the first easily he was the first confessional. Right? All the other documents we have from antiquity are heroes talking about their ama- how amazing they are. Right, right? right. And this and this story and Adam told this story, whether he wrote it down then or later. So make sure you remember the story and you tell it to your children. And I realized right. Adam set himself up to be the fall guy for all of humanity going forward. Right, like mm. wherever you go, tell your children how I screwed up paradise for all of you. Like that is the right. most important story you have to tell everybody. Not all the great things right. he did, but his great failures with his wife and with his children. Yeah. And I, I think he's like when I first thought about that, I said like, oh my god. Mm. And then I, I, I swear I heard like a voice in my head say, Adam saying, no Ernie, mm. my god. Mm. Is that the reason Adam had the courage and mm. the foresight to make himself a butt of jokes for all of mm. humanity mm. was because he had encountered God. And it's mm. like, if you think I'm a jerk and a fool and a coward mm. um, compared to whom, what my God did for me, mm. I'm okay with that. Because that means Mm. you know my God. And I'm totally fine with that. And it's like, you know, that is, you know, the cry of my heart for my kids, right? I Mm. don't care what they think of me as Mm. long as they know that my God is good and worthy of trust, even if I am not, or especially when I am not.
2: Right. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's nicely put. Nicely put. Mm-hmm. Finally, we agree. All right. On
1: so we? <laughs> yeah, so, we so shall we? Yeah. And I think that's the thing is that it's only at the end, at the cross, when mm-hmm. when, when when there's nothing left to fight for, if you will, yeah. that we're free enough uh, to agree. Yeah. so, yeah. oh, So shall we wrap it there, old father? Yeah. We can. Yeah. It's a
2: wrap. Yeah. It's a wrap. And I got the other book. Ma, The book arrived.
1: All right. So next Neville week shoot, we'll read chapter shoot, yeah. one of Round the Bend by Neville Shute. Okay. All right. All right.
2: And, uh, thank you. Okay, thank you so, thank so much recording. for going on this journey thank with me.
1: Yep. Uh, thank you, All right. Uh, Did you want to talk uh, after this uh, or are uh, we good, good for now on how the kids call you?
2: Yeah. Uh, uh, I
1: Actually, I think they want to call on Sunday uh, this morning. we yeah. are busy. Um, okay. They may have time this afternoon. You're both going to be around. No, just You're, the nap. You and mom? And, um, yeah, what time so is nap time so they don't call during that? Well, uh,
2: probably about 1 o'clock here.
1: So probably 1 o'clock. Is, is your nap time? So 3
2: would be end time after 3, 3.30 would be okay. Three you o'clock your time, which call. is 1 o'clock our time. Okay. okay.
1: Okay. All right, we'll sit that for you today. Yeah,
2: okay. Uh, we have some uh, call, family. Mom wants to talk to you also, say hello to you, talk about other things. So you can call.
1: Okay, So I call mom now? You know, she, she's ready, uh, yeah she's Okay, I'm yeah, gonna yeah. hang up now and or I'll hang up Mom. and
2: call. Okay. Okay. All right, Ma Thank, Thank you, you Dad. You. I love you. Her phone. Uh, love you. Bye bye, Ma. Okay. okay. Bye bye. He's gonna call you company. Okay. okay. All right.